0: We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom.
1: Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
2: The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals.
1: Dangerous mid morning debate with the great dictator.
2: The
3: Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend to when I'm talking to you. On Talk Radio. This mess!
2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now not just live on the radio, but live-streamed on YouTube, live-streamed on Facebook, and of course live-streamed on Twitter as well. It's just over two weeks until we leave the European Union. All the Union flags have been removed from the European Parliament. Uh, Meghan Markle has been removed from her royal duties and we're still arguing about whether we can get Big Ben to bong for Brexit on January 31st. This morning, I bring you even better news. The Equality and Human Rights Commission would like you to shut up. Stop making fun of people, stop making faces and whatever you do, stop telling jokes. I kid you not, we are now told that unwanted conduct, in their words, includes pranks, social media contact and mimicry. So if you've got any ideas about abusing people on Twitter today, just don't do it. You might be breaking the law soon. This is official advice that the EHRC has sent to 400 companies in the light of the Me Too movement, and it's not just intended for rules in the workplace. It might even apply to the pub. Shouldn't they be a bit busy investigating anti-semitism in the Labour Party? Pretty soon, everyone will just stop interacting with one another altogether, won't they? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Coming up today, we're finding out what the Canadians think of Meghan uh, and Harry, and whether they even want them to go and live in Canada in the wake of the news that her father Thomas may face off against her in a courtroom, as I predicted last year. And we'll talk to royal author Anna Pasternak as well. Of course, we want to hear from you too. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Plus, we'll have another rousing Prime Minister's Questions where Boris Johnson will make mincemeat once more of the feeble and soon to be ex Labour leader. Jeremy Corbyn. You're listening to me and watching me right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So imagine the scene. You're standing in a pub after work with a few of your work colleagues. Somebody said something about one of your work colleagues and you pull a face. Now that, apparently, may now have to be outlawed. Can you imagine anything more ridiculous? Let's talk to Bobby Friedman, who is, of course, barrister and media commentator as well. Bobby, very good morning to you morning, Mike. Now, I mean, I always was under the impression that the um, Equalities and Human Rights Commission was a good thing. Now I'm not so sure.
3: (laughs) Well, with all these things, it's a case of having a bit of common sense, isn't it? I mean, I can absolutely see why the EHRC has sent out this guidance because of course you're allowed to make jokes in a pub and of course you're allowed to be appropriate, of course in the right circumstance. Uh, you can do that, but employers now do have to be very careful indeed because there are things that one employee can think is acceptable That can uh, be completely unacceptable to someone else particularly with old employees because norms have changed in, in the workplace And the sort of banter that was acceptable 10-15 years ago isn't acceptable anymore So it is a reality that for employers now, unless you take these steps, you will leave yourself open uh, to potential challenges for employees. And also, you you can end up uh, upsetting and causing issues amongst your workplace, which ultimately is bad for the employer.
2: Yeah, but isn't it more simple and straightforward for individual companies to make their own sort of policy rather than uh, to take a sort of dictum from the, the, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission on the basis that they're kind of more or less making people frightened to do or say anything?
3: Well, again, I think it needs some common sense, and I think companies should take should be looking at this guidance and trying to see how they can actually put it into place in, in a workable way. If, I absolutely agree with you, that, you do, that companies should not look at this and use that as a reason to go round to staff and say that you must never tell jokes, you must ne- never give a colleague a hug, um, you you mustn't ever. Um, say anything at all that could offend anybody because that's not how it works in real life and that's what not what you need it's what it is all about Is about doing things. It is about putting in place uh, clear guidance as to what is and isn't acceptable. And I think, in in fairness, there there are huge numbers of cases still where, uh, particularly, a more senior employee might make a joke that they think is funny, but if it can have a sexual connotation, for example, that can make the uh, the other employee genuinely really uncomfortable. And I think it is part of it about all of us uh, realising that you have to think about how that behavior is going to play out and we you know we are not in a madman culture anymore it isn't acceptable to act in the ways that you could that people did in the past and and so i think in fairness it's uh, you know there is always a danger with this that some people will take this out of proportion
2: yeah.
3: uh, and go too far with it but equally uh, it is about uh, making sure we know where we are as a society now, which is different to what we have yeah, in the past.
2: but I think most people would agree that we are in a very different place. And when you watch shows like Mad Men and you think back to what used to happen in the 70s and the 80s and all of that, you know, I don't. I think we couldn't be further removed from that. And I think most people now are, behave very differently. And when you do read about some weird case uh, where something terrible has happened to, to an individual at work because of something that somebody else has done, it's a pretty rare event nowadays.
3: Well, I think when you read about it, it is, um, you know, certainly I would say I come across quite a lot of examples where, where, that, where that does happen. Um, really? They've, well, they've in, always- in,
2: in any particular, I mean, what, what's the legal business like? Because the I mean, legal business is one of those businesses which is hard to fathom for people on the outside because it looks like a very sort of patronage-led business in the sense that it's all about working in chambers, that people have seniority, uh, the people who run, um, you know, sort of big law firms are very powerful people and the people who work beneath them are pretty much kind of enslaved to them.
3: Well, I, th- I think uh, that that's maybe a slightly harsh picture. I mean, but overall, you know, we it, look, lawyers are, although know, people often don't believe it, lawyers are human beings like everyone else. But unfortunately, that comes with all the uh, the downsides to to human nature. And just as with any, as with any other organisation, yeah, absolutely, there is uh, there is some sexual harassment that I'm sure goes on. Uh, there, there is some bullying that goes on with all, within organisations. That that will always be a danger. The question is how you deal with it, and yes. how you how you try and stop it happening.
2: But this is um, what I'm saying. That surely the way, and I think my worry about the way that this is being done, because this woman who runs the uh, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission has written to something like 400 firms, is that if you don't leave it to the individual firms to take care of their own situation, which might be specific, you end up with this kind of rather wide-sweeping uh, you know, wide generalisation of how things should be, and that doesn't always apply in every case.
3: No, it, it, it doesn't, you're right. And it also, it also depends on the organisation, because um, if, you, if you have an office which has got five people in it, you know each other's personalities, and you can make a more considered um, decision about it. Let, as I say, for example, let's look at hugging, which I think is a really, which is a really good example. If you have a genuinely close work friend, for example... Um, it's it's obviously a completely different circumstance. If you're working on a floor with a hundred people, and there's a, a, an attractive uh, new woman or man who comes in, works in the office, and on day one you're putting your arms around them, which is which is clearly inappropriate. Well,
2: it's not just inappropriate; it's pretty creepy, actually.
3: Well, exactly. Um, but but that's what, what it's saying is, and I think I think this is the kind of thing that does happen, unfortunately. If you have, uh, you know, you might have the the middle aged man who still. Still, in his head, thinks that, that he's um, the, the greatest gift of women that there is, and actually, everyone thinks he's a creep. And he goes around. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that these
2: people still exist. Surely they don't still exist, Bobby, do they? Well, I, th- I think, unfortunately, they do, and really? I think that's
3: the point. But, and I think this, there is, a, there is for, from, uh, certainly from my experience, a, quite a big gap between the public perception of a post Me Too world, and where you think, well, surely you can't be stupid enough. Still, these days, to touch someone up at the Christmas party. No, um, that's what you'd think, but actually, from the from the. Stories that I've heard that
2: does still happen. I'm sure the other, the other problem that we've had here, and I blame the lawyers for this, and you know that uh, I have great respect for you, Bobby, in, as an individual man and as a lawyer. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the legal system, I think, is partially to blame here because there's loads of, of what my father would refer to as ambulance chasers and would be very happy to jump on any uh, lawsuit that they can to bring a case on somebody's behalf where something might have happened at a party uh, uh, at Christmas, but in fact it is described differently by two different people.
3: Well, I'm sure you're right, Mike, but particularly when it comes to unfair dismissal. So yeah. when when the relationship is broken down, you often see it, don't you, where someone claims race discrimination and sex discrimination and age discrimination and yeah. the kitchen sink. So that's often thrown in there. Yeah. That, um, that, and, and obviously pe- people are encouraged to do that. But as with all of these things, there, there's always... Just as you have some people who do do make it up or over-egg it, I think there are then other people who don't report it. And I think, in fairness, there are lots of people who end up feeling uncomfortable, but don't want, don't want to make a fuss yeah. because one, one, of the, one of the things that you do see a lot ultimately is that, um, and this is absolutely wrong, but it's, a, it, it's an unfortunate fact of the way in which a lot of organisations deal with it, is that if you are the person who makes a complaint, you end up being seen as a troublemaker, however well-founded mm. that complaint is. Yeah. And, it's all, and the careers, it may well be the wrongdoer's career get badly affected, but it can end up affecting your career as well. And it's, it's quite common for people to end up leaving their jobs if they make a yeah. complaint. That shouldn't be the case. But, uh, but, but that's why I think that a lot of people actually do keep relatively quiet when these things happen. So that's why I say... It's, it, there is, a, of course, there's a common sense aspect to it, and inevitably there'll be a danger of some companies taking this too far. And, in, and if a company says, you, you know, it would be a disciplinary issue if you ever hug a colleague. So if a great friend of yours, who's, whose parents have just died, comes and tells you about that, and you give, and you give them a, a completely platonic hug. Um, in the usual way to try and help them, because you because you care about them as a friend. Of course, that kind of behaviour is acceptable, but it is about saying that, that that 55-year-old who who still thinks that he's got it, going around giving random hugs to people. You can't, you know, you can't do that, and you can't do that. And it is a fair point. You can't do it in a pub outside work either. Because the company is still responsible for
2: that. No, of course. And everybody would want to be able to go to work and be in a safe environment without having to be harassed or bullied or sexually molested in any way, of course. But, you know, when they talk about unwanted contact, uh, pranks, social media contact, mimicry, that kind of thing, which can can sometimes be the case when people go for a collective drink in a pub after work, you know, it starts to get a little bit too heavy for me.
3: Yeah. And that, I mean, I th- again, I, I think you're absolutely right that that is the area where one has to one has to look at it with a bit of common sense, because, of course, people can be can be upset by by anything. Mm. Do, you, do you want to have workplaces where you can't have any joke whatsoever right. at anyone's expense? Now, of course, it can go too far. We know that there can be actual bullying. Um, and what can, what can start off as a bit of a joke, if it's a joke made every single day, or if you post a clip of someone on social media that then goes viral, that kind of thing can, of course, feel, feel like bullying. But again, I think that is one of the areas where you have to be careful, that you, that you don't actually end up stamping out the kind of everyday behaviour that people actually enjoy. Yeah. And, and also, makes, depending makes on sure the business... The work
2: and, it's, dep- like yeah, and depending on the business that you are in as well, I think there has to, this is where I'm saying I think it's better, if you join a big company, I mean, I would have absolutely no problem being handed a, a, a sort of a document by the people that hire you, which says this is how we expect you to behave while you're working for this company. And this would also include anything that you may be doing with colleagues outside of the workplace, et cetera. You know, and they could give you a series of things that you're not supposed to do and that kind of thing, right? But, but I mean, in some businesses like creative businesses, in the music business, in the arts, in, in, in kind of... You know, advertising agencies, where there tend to be a few more, shall we say, extrovert-style people, you're going to get more action that might or might not be deemed to be offensive than if you're working, maybe, in an accountancy office.
3: Well, that is true, but equally, I mean, I think um, you you have to bear in mind that you shouldn't. uh, You know, there are lots of industries and. It's shocking though it is. I still think this is the case. There are lots of industries where it's effectively expected that you're going to be out in a strip club until three in the morning. Really? And that is a reason that puts off people from from joining that industry there are equally other industries i'm sure i don't know of any industries where that happens i mean my sister used to work my
2: sister used to work in 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 wall street in those financial districts in 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 london and and in and in new york and in hong kong and all of that and that used to be the case back in the 80s right everybody would end up in a strip club but i don't think that's going on anymore is it
3: uh, well I th- I, I, again I, th- I think you 've maybe got more of a positive attitude th- than I have to these things i'm not saying i 'm not saying it 's anywhere near as widespread as it was, but amongst the sort of there was cer- there are certain industries uh, and i th- I only know this anecdotally, but you know pe- people like traders or brokers um, in, in sort of an oil broker for example uh, might be more Likely to to be getting up to that kind of thing. Of course, not all of them do that, but I still think that that is anecdotally.
2: I mean, I suppose somebody's going to these places because they're making money.
3: <laughs> yeah, and 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 it, well, exactly. And I, and I think this is the that is part of the issue that there are some careers that again, you know, if you if you're if you're not prepared to be to be out until six in the morning, if you're not, as I say, if you're if you're not going to be uh, taking all sorts of uh, all sorts of things that other people might not, then. Um, if that puts you off on a job, so I do think you actually want to have uniform standards of of conduct in, in that way that 's not to say though uh, so th- th- that you can 't have a particular feel or personality to an office and if and if a team enjoys going out together that you of know, course of course that 's great but what i 'm saying is i, d- I don 't think it's fair. it 's fair to say that you you need to be boozing until six in the morning if you want to work in a particular industry, mm. and I think that is one of those things that, again, will we'll ju- we'll, will will just have to change and will, will change a bit over time. But I'll well, tell you, you know, what, that, one of the places... That, that, that of the, culture still
2: exists. One of, the, one of the places where you and I both know um, an awful lot of late-night drinking goes on is inside the Palace of Westminster in the House of Parliament because they've got all those bars in there. I think they've got something like 13 bars or something like that. Um, and the culture inside of politics would appear to still be, despite the fact that these are meant to be some of the most woke people around, is apparently pretty ghastly.
3: Yeah, that, that's right. They, they're trying to do something about it, but I don't think they really have. And it's there are there are some industries. Uh, you know, some some people might even say that uh, journalism is one of them, where people um, people like uh, going out and drinking until the small hours. Not anymore. That's
2: that kind of it used to be.
3: Well, it, yeah, you, you, you're probably right. It is changing, and it's um, but, but but those are the kind of industries where. Um, you know, sometimes people feel a pressure to act in, in a certain way. I definitely think that you're right in pol- politics The usual rules tend not to apply. Mm. Could you be as successful if you if you are a real uh, Machiavellian political operator if if you're not comfortable being out late going out for drinks Being in the small house because that's often where the, that's often where the the deals are done uh, for, from my experience um, so of course with all of this, right, it's, it's, a, it's about trying to come up with a, with a workable solution whilst recognising, of course, that people have ways of doing things and, that, and there's human nature. You can't, you're never going to be able to ban people from meeting up for drinks outside of work if, the, if they want to. What, you know, what it's about is, is about not making someone feel unwelcome, that if, for example, they don't particularly want to go to the pub and have six bites after work, that somehow that means they're going to be excluded
2: from the team. But isn't the problem here that the, I mean, apart from anything else, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission is supposed to be, amongst other things, um, investigating the Labour Party for anti-Semitism. But now they're spending a lot of time coming out with this kind of nonsense. And I just think that, you know, sending it out to 400 companies as if it is the next big thing and if, as if it might well be something the government legislates on, I think it's just a, the wrong road to go down.
3: Well, and I, and I, I know I, I, I hope you won't disown me for sounding too woke about this, Mike. But I do, you know, for me, it, it, is, it is something where look. Of course, they, they should be investigating Labour anti-Semitism, and I hope we'll get the proper report on, the, on that soon. Um, if they, um, assuming they have got the resources to do both, then as I say, I do, I do see the, the logic with this uh, because. As long as it is applied sensibly, and I do have some some concerns that obviously there 'll be some employers who take it far too far, as long as this is applied sensibly, you want employees to have to have guidelines and actually, you know what there is there is a group of people who probably you know particularly I would say older men in this people whose behavior used to be acceptable but has sort of been made unacceptable by the times, but genuinely they would. They would be upset if they realized that they were doing something to offend their colleague. They don't realize that their behavior is unacceptable. For those kinds of people, it's actually quite useful having the guidelines because they they might see that and think, oh, I didn't realize that actually that that kind of behaviour is not acceptable
2: anymore. So yeah, but you're, you're, you're that, falling into the trap, yeah, Bobby, as well as blaming sort of older, white, middle-aged men. And they're not necessarily the only problem. You know, there are plenty of women that I've known in my career uh, over time who have been behaving outrageously at all manner of events that I've been at. <laughs> you know, and I'm not with me, by the way, in case you're asking. With
0: you, with, with, with you
3: around, Mike, uh, you know, um, of course... Steady. Would be, uh,
2: Steady. You're going to get a lawsuit on you soon. But you know what I mean? You know, it's an easy no, trap to no, fall I, into I just to blame, you know, a... white middle-aged men for everything.
3: It's not... No, of course it's not. It's not just about white middle-aged men. And and people of all ages and sexes and races can be racist to, to other races. They, uh, they can be completely inappropriate. And everyone needs to look at their behaviour. But as I say, I think there is... A particular section of people and, the, and these are the people who i, who I say are the, are the ones who um, who i think if they realized what, how their behavior was coming across would want to do something about it, there are some people who are either who, who wouldn 't change their behavior however much they 're told to but there is a group of people who and this is and this is why they tend to be older it 's because things are different, and it 's in the same way that as as you all know you know back in the in the noughties or nineties if someone in and i I had it when i fast, first started working if someone didn't like what you were doing, they could give you a real rollicking where you know you feel the heat of their anger uh, blasting you out out of the meeting room you can't You can't do that anymore
2: but the, as are non- we better they, off for it do you think well i do,
3: I, th- I think within reason yes uh, i mean sometimes
2: i, I mean newspapers used to able- sell a lot more than they do now, television yeah, used to sorry. be watched by more people than it is now you know um, advertising agencies were a lot more profligate than they are now you know there was a, the, the, the way of with the working place was very different but he might argue that in many ways it was more successful
3: well it, it might be but it depends how you feel when you when you're on the on the receiving end of that again i think i think it's about having having a happy balance i don't think that it's, uh that it could always be the case that if someone raises their voice that that's unacceptable or that if someone yeah. uh, tells you the, the way in which you're doing your work is unacceptable, that that, that, that can't be right. I yeah. think that obviously... No, happens.
2: I think... No, you're absolutely right. Bobby, thanks very much indeed. Bobby Friedman there, Barrister uh, Media Commentator. My point is, is that you can't broad brush this stuff. You can't just suddenly issue a whole series of instructions to 400 companies and say this is no longer acceptable and that is acceptable and over here you've got something else going on because that's not the way it works. I want to hear from you out there, please, because um, it may well be that you you've got a story for us about your workplace, about how it's changed, about something that happened. You don't have to give real names, you don't have to tell us real um, individual stories that involve people that you have to talk to us about. However, what you can do uh, is explain to us how things have changed and whether you've ever got into any trouble for doing something that you didn't think was in any way troublesome. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now don't forget you can tweet us of course at Talk Radio. You can join the congregational throng if you'll pardon the expression on... YouTube, uh, who are currently watching us? And speaking of congregational throngs, let us talk now uh, to the Reverend Alan Wilson, the Bishop of Buckingham. Alan, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good to be talking. Yeah, thanks very much indeed. It's a funny old uh, uh, conversation we're about to have, really, because there are those people who think that ringing bells for uh, leaving the European Union is a bit over the top and a bit sort of theatrical. There are those Brexiteers who wish to be very patriotic and uh, and ring not only the Big Ben uh, chime and the bong, but also all the churches in the land should be able to do it as well. But uh, I understand you're not particularly enthused about it.
0: Well, I think, you know, you've got to think about what church bells are actually about. What do we use them for? Weddings. You know, good news. It's a power of love. It's a community coming together around a couple at the beginning of their new life. Christmas, you know, good news. We all love Christmas. Let, let, let's celebrate the community. I mean, to be honest, uh, I, I don't think this one really comes anywhere near that. I think it's a rather divisive subject for a start.
2: Well, uh, there's but there's a lot of we'll- people who think it is good news, though.
0: Well, I wish them well. I crack open a few bottles and, you know, have a good time with your friends. But there are other people uh, who don't feel this is good news. And I suppose most of us, uh, there are two other lots of people, aren't there? There are people who just wish it would go away, frankly and there are people who just don't know what we're looking at at all, so they don't know whether it's good news or not, but we'll all find out in ten years' time, won't we? I mean, I uh, guess you could make...
2: I mean, have there been historically any other times when bells have been rung? Because it seems to me that it's quite an historic occasion, regardless of whether you're in favour of it or not. I mean, constitutionally, it's quite important, the fact that we are no longer part of something that we've been a part of for for 40-odd years, and it's quite a sort of an interesting moment as well, isn't it? Mm. I've got one for you, Mike. You know, in 1821, they rang the bells of Durham Cathedral to
0: celebrate a royal divorce. Did they? Neither yeah, neither. Queen Caroline got divorced, <laughs> and the bishop was a... Uh, he was a Whig. He was the original big Whig. And uh, he had the bells of Durham Cathedral uh, rung for a royal divorce. I, I think it probably it was... I, I did know a vicar as well in Reading who rang his church bell to celebrate Mrs Thatcher's resignation. Uh, I mean, I get what the gentleman... <laughs> well, that's was interesting, isn't it? Birth. Well, yeah, but I don't think it's a bit tacky, actually. I think, really. No, but I t- the reason I, I say, say why... Was a winner. We tried it and, you know, it didn't really work.
2: No, no, the reason I say it's interesting is because a lot of the opposition in some... I think the bell ringer society have said that they don't want to do it on the grounds that it's yeah. too political.
0: Well, it is really, isn't it? It's a political game. And, uh, you know, using the church... I mean, all these people have massive things. They've got the crowdfunding. Actually, the crowdfunding's is not... not doing too well. Did I just hear that? On, well, that's what's being said but I think the, the
2: bottom line is, is that the, the crowdfunding pr- pr- procedure has been underwritten by Lord Ashcroft who's sort of richer than oh, God. Okay. So yeah. it doesn't really matter whether the crowdfunding works or not because I think he's going to pay it anyway. But but also the, the the idea that it's going to cost half a million quid is a complete and utter nonsense. We actually... I'm not
0: sure what the half a million quid's going to do. not just get some guy up there with a
2: Hammer or you know, I, I well, I can tell you, I've become half a million quids about myself. Well, yeah, no, I've right. become a bit of an expert on this one, Alan. Since yesterday, oh, right. uh, and it turns out that when they had the bells rung, or the bongs, I should say, rung uh, bombs, on, yes. on on New Year's Eve, they then removed the clanger from the bell oh, tower, and then it, and also removed the floor. Uh, so they'd have to put that back oh, that's in. A bit of a problem. Yeah, there are there are some who suspect uh, there are some who suspect foul play at work here, and that yeah. it's really the people in Parliament who didn't want the Big Ben uh, chimes Ooh. to ring out. But we've also been told that it may well be that there's a sort of a fake big ben uh, which is oh. which is erected in parliament square by nigel farage electronic one. yeah it's just a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a you know a robot version of big ben which and then will... you
0: won't need somebody to volunteer to be the donger you know it's
2: the... exactly exactly <laughs> That'd
0: be a high-tech solution
2: yes exactly now your 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 story from durham has given me an idea what about in sussex could we somehow get the bells rung for for when harry and Meghan finally depart these shores for canada
0: well, there'd be a historical precedent for that from the 1820s, you know, mm. revolution by tradition. Yeah.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: I mean, ultimately, it's up to the vicar who rings the bells. And if people all over the country want to do it, nobody's going to get, you know, nobody's going to die, are they? But I think it is. And also, you know, there are ways. Do you remember when um, Lady Di's funeral? Yes. They were ringing bells for funeral and they put these sort of leather um bluffer things over them so yeah. that they sound sad and mournful. Yes. Um, and and then there was that bit where uh, they were carrying the coffin out of the church and there was just ringing that, what is it called, a passing bell? I think so, yeah. Yes, I do remember that,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, uh, perhaps, you know, that would be the answer, sort of ring them to mourn or ring them to celebrate according to taste. But I just feel this whole thing, uh, you know, we got a bit fed up with it last year and I'm, I'm not sure... It's, it's a sensible way to use a church because church is there in every village. They're there for everybody. And also, you know, we're, we're in business, if you like, for good news. And we're there for everybody, for births, for marriages, for deaths, for people's uh, life events. It's much bigger than uh, politics and factions. But, that we've got a bigger bandwidth. And I think that we could compromise that by becoming a sort of um, mousepiece or megaphone for, uh, for politicians. Yes. And I think that the central, whatever it was, of church bell ringers, the people you mentioned, I think their instinct is sound, actually. They're for things that everybody is involved in. Um, not, not just...
2: Well, everybody is involved in this. It doesn't really matter whether you voted for it or not because it's actually happening. So I think for those people who don't like the fact that it's happening, um, you know, I've always had one message for them and that to just going to move on and accept that it's happening and stop pretending that you hate it. Because I've got a couple of a couple of notes here on the YouTube feed, uh, which you are currently live on. Kate says, petition your local church. If they don't want to ring the bells, then they are globalists working against democracy. <laughs>
0: well, maybe they're just trying to be your local charity. Maybe there are people in your community who don't feel good about this. I mean, you know, that's the trouble of Yeah, but that doesn't, mean that,
2: that doesn't mean that you that. shouldn't do something, does it? I mean, part of the problem that we have in our society now is that we're always worrying about the people who don't like something rather than actually doing <laughs> the things that, that, that are happening and being realistic about it.
0: I think you've got a point there. I I don't think it's about being realistic or unrealistic. The church is not a political broadcasting thing at all. I mean, er, every day we deal with millions of people's ordinary life events and the things they deeply care about and the politics of Brexit. Some people, it's like a new religion. Other people hate the thought of it. I don't think we're in a position. But I'll tell you what, if it works out brilliantly, why don't we all ring the bells in, you know, five years' time, ten years' time, whenever it is when we've got something to celebrate? But right now, I
2: don't think... Well, well a lot, lot of people yet. think that we have got something to celebrate. How about this uh, from well, Jelly? A lot of
0: people think we haven't. That's the trouble. It's deeply divided, and I think anything that just underlines the divisions is the last thing we need. At this but shouldn't you be,
2: as a man of the cloth, bringing the people together?
0: Well, it's not bringing people together, is it, to crow over one. <laughs> it's well, it's not, well, I don't think well, ringing church, church bells,
2: bells... Yeah, but come yeah. on. Ringing church bells is not crowing. It's about celebrating good news, as you say, uh, or or celebrating an historic event.
0: For some people, Brexit is good news, and for some people, it's really, really bad news. And therefore, to side yourself with the people who think it's good news is being political. Is it? Do you think? Of course it
2: is. No, I think that's a strange...
0: Why do you you think otherwise, Mike? I'm really interested. Well,
2: because I I think part of the problem with Brexit is that the people who think it's a really bad idea are in the minority, right? Right. They did not no, win. Not
0: in the, actually, they're not two thirds of the voters never, never, were never interested in the first place. It has to be said, and in the recent election, more people voted for parties who said, "Hang on a moment," than voted for the "Put your foot oh, down dear. on the board."
2: I thought you said the church wasn't political.
0: Well, you asked me a question. Well, you've, yes, answered,
2: the you've, just you've just answered the to question. To like somebody, on, you've answered the question like somebody. Hang on. You've answered the question like somebody who didn't want to leave the European Union.
0: But that's not the point. The point is that, as a matter of fact. We're still not at a place where we all want to celebrate this in the way we want to celebrate our daughter's wedding.
2: Well, you might not oh, be. As
0: a matter of fact, isn't it? Yeah, but I'll I mean... Get to that place and then we'll, we'll get the bells going.
2: Well, the Reverend Andy right Bawtree... Now it's
0: a, little bit, it's a, a lot of people are very, um, I suppose, uncertain, and they want the thing to work out. And I think we need to make this thing work one way or the other. Of course, we don't know what it is, we don't know what's involved. But don't, don't you think they'd be better off... it has got to be worked out now. But so don't
2: you, you think they'd be concerned. better off, though, um, Alan, in, this, in the sense of, of being out on the streets and listening to bells ringing rather than lying down in a dark room in a sort of fetal position pretending that it's not happening?
0: Oh, I think you could, uh, out on the streets, uh, I mean, <laughs> like New Year's Day or something. Yeah. I mean, people will do, we live in a free country. It's a great thing about being in Britain. People can do whatever they want. But what you don't have right now is uh, all the healing that, that, that Boris was talking about. It hasn't happened yet. I hope it does. But I don't think uh, kind of a, a sort of Brexiteer bean feast on the, on the evening of this thing happening is going to help anybody to, bring, to come back together again.
2: Well when you look at the, the massive when you look at the massive majority that Boris Johnson was given by the recent election you'd have to consider people
0: voted for somebody else
2: People voted for for Boris Johnson because they wanted to get Brexit done that was his that was his mantra and that was what he did
0: Yeah about 48% of the voters did and about 52% of the voters as a matter of fact voted for other people and that's why it's so divisive. If we got to a point where the thing was a raging success, and we all knew it is, and we all hope we get to that point, let's ring out the bells then.
2: Yes, OK. Well, I hope you have a terrible, terrible uh, uh, reconstruction at some point over the course of the next two weeks, so that when I call you on January 31st, you'll be ready to ring those bells.
0: <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> call in the builders, yeah. No, I mean, you know, we've got to make the best of this thing, of course. Uh, but it's interesting, wasn't it? Before it all started, everybody was saying, this is going to be the easiest ten minutes we've ever had no lies in our lives. Well, House. it has it been. Now,
2: now that he's got a majority, it's the easiest thing that ever happened. When, it, when, it was pen, when the withdrawal bill was eventually voted through the House of Commons, it, it didn't even make the front page.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think people, you know, you've got lots of different views on this in our country, and I think church bells are about the things we can agree to celebrate, not the things that a large number of people feel bad and I don't think actually drawing attention to it one way or the other I think we just have to get on with it and uh, enjoy and see where it gets us and Yeah but
2: pretending it's not happening something. is not going to be the way forward either. I'm going to talk to pretending
0: it's not happening at all. You don't have to you don't have to have a peel of bells for something to happen. It's no
2: happening. that's right I, I just I quite, I, I having quite having like sense the sense idea that, that so many people are now against it and that you're being so uh, vociferous about not wanting to do it that I'm going to press for a campaign now to make it happen
0: well, you'd be welcome to do so, but I think the people, the bell-ringing, whatever they're called, you know, that you're talking about, I think they're they're basically saying uh, the common sense, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, they know what they're talking about, and of course, bell ringers have all kinds of different views on this, no doubt, just the same as everybody else. I bet you they'd ring the bells if we were. I bet
2: you they'd ring the bells if we were rejoining the European Union. How About that for politics. I don't
0: think they would really. No, I mean, you know, there are things that go on in our country that many people might feel are a really good idea, Boris becoming prime minister, some people think that's brilliant, some people think that's terrible, um, until you get to a position where everybody can, be, can agree about it. I mean, the, the way bells work, think of the times you remember the bells, you know, Lady Di's funeral, uh, Winston Churchill's funeral, royal weddings, uh, birth of an the throne. Th- these are everybody things, not, not, not political games.
2: Okay, Um, The Reverend Alan Wilson, Bishop of Buckingham. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I think the bells should be rung. If you want to go to your local church and ask them to ring the bells, then just do so. We've got... There is, in fact, a reverend who is in favour of it, uh, who's in the Church of England, and his name is the Reverend Andy Bawtree, vicar of St Peter and Amp, uh, St Paul in River. Uh, He apparently wants to ring the bells for Brexit, so maybe we'll get him on the phone as well and see if he's a bit more enthusiastic. This is, of course, Talk Radio.
1: Across the UK, online and on DAB.
3: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Lots more to come. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We'll talk to Don Neeson, uh, Dawn Neeson, I should say, rather, coming up in the next hour. Uh, she's going to be telling us about the plank of the week, which we did yesterday, and also her column in the Daily Star today. Uh, I've got a tweet here from, uh, sorry, uh, uh, a note on the YouTube feed uh, from somebody saying that uh, the price for uh, for Meghan Markle to run for the president uh, in the United States of America has dropped from five hundred to one earlier in the week to 100 to one hundred uh, to one. We'll see whether that turns out to be true. Right now, though, what we're going to do is we're going to go and talk to Mr Pothole because it is National Pothole Day and Mark Morrell uh, is a pothole campaigner. He's in a tank driving towards Parliament. I don't think he's actually got there yet. He was hoping to get there in time for Prime Minister's questions. Mark, a very good morning to you.
4: Good morning, Mike. Yes, uh, ironically, he was held up uh, on the Westway with a chronically bad pothole that the police shut one of the lanes off. Goodness me.
2: You couldn't write this, really, could you? You could not make it up. So tell us where you are now, exactly.
4: I'm in Kings Cross Road. We pulled over because... When the tank's going full belt, we couldn't have heard each other think. That, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and what sort of tank is it? It's, well, it's actually a, a gun carrier, an Abbott's gun carrier. But, you know, to me and you, they're a tank. I'm yeah. not an officiata. It's bright and orange. We're getting tremendous public support. Uh, I'm really pleased that Ultra Creek paid for the sponsorship of the tank because I couldn't afford to do it. OK. Um, and um, really, it's really taken the message to Parliament. I mean, it's all very well and good, uh, so-called £500 million a year, Uh, for the next four years in the manifesto by the Conservatives. It's good to see it in there. If that's additional extra money but it's not addressing the backlog. We need another £1.5 billion a year into a long-term resurfacing programme across the country because repairing potholes is actually a waste of money. You should be resurfacing your roads. Yeah. All the other money that's wasted uh, could be ploughed into much better prevention of potholes in the first place.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And also, isn't there something to be said for changing the way that roads are constructed so that potholes are less likely to actually happen?
4: Yes. I mean, there are some really good techniques. I mean, one of the really uh, things that this country is good at is innovation. And there's a company uh, that are using recycled plastic uh, that will uh, extend the life of uh, carriageway surfaces and make it more resilient and get rid of some of the waste problem that we generate. I mean, it's a win-win. They're doing some great work. It's recognised around the world. We need to push it more in this country.
2: Absolutely right. And when do you reckon you're going to get yourself to Parliament Square?
4: Uh, Subject to traffic, um, in the next sort of 20 minutes half hour, hopefully. So we might, you know, we couldn't get to Boris. I was going to demand money with menaces with the tank before <laughs> he went in. But uh, perhaps we'll have to uh, accept that uh, even the potholes delayed me. I mean, we would have been all right in the tank, but the police uh, shut the road and the low loader had to get across. Um, and, in fact, the, the one that was... Dangerous, they uh, pulled us over against. There was one further on that we, need, we just missed in the, in the vehicle. But uh, I mean, there's a serious side. I mean, you've seen the 20% increase in the amount of breakdowns yeah. uh, that the RAC reported. Uh, you know, 50% of the public in this country are now saying that our roads are at a crisis point. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the government needs to listen. Uh, it's positive, Boris did put that in the manifesto. First time ever I've seen a potholes in a manifesto mm. from a political party. So, he do recognise a problem but nowhere near enough. I mean, you know, with proper long-term investment, and we don't forget 250 cyclists have been killed or seriously injured in the last five years on our roads, and in some cases, potholes that knew, the councils knew about. So we need to do something. Uh, and it's estimated it actually costs the UK economy £5 billion a year to badly maintained roads. So investing an extra £1.5 billion uh, in resurfacing, plus £500 million for pothole repairs at £2 billion, pays for itself.
2: It makes economic sense for the country. Absolutely right. Well, good luck with it, Mark, and uh, we'll should look out for you when you get down to uh, Parliament Square later on. Mark Morrell there, uh, also known as Mr Pothole. He's the guy in the orange tank. You can't miss him.
3: A mid-morning dance with the devil.
2: The Independent Republic of
1: Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here of course all the way through until 1 o'clock the show is nearly over but there is still time for you to talk to us don't worry 0344 is the number uh, I'm delighted to say that we've covered a great deal of subjects this morning and already uh, lots of you have already watched the plank of the week which we filmed yesterday right here uh, in the news building down in the TV studios uh, and I was uh, very happy to see Dawn Neesham taking part in it we had Maya Tuzzi as well who is of course the Tory um, YouTuber who's got such success and who's having a bit a do tonight, actually, which we're all going to, so we shall see how that all goes. Dawn Neeson, of course, got a column in the Star today as well, and guess what? She's talking about Meghan Markle. Dawn, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Good
1: afternoon, Mike. Now, you've
2: already done about four jobs today already before you've come on to talk to I us, have, haven't you? I I'm
1: afraid, but, you know, I love it. I know. Fun. And I get to talk to you as well. Hardest working
2: woman in showbiz, I think we're going to start calling you. <laughs> and it was great fun yesterday. It was good to see you. And uh, even though you tried to kibosh the entire production by having your phone ring in the middle of it, I think uh, we managed yeah. to get past that.
1: I'm known for my professionalism in that area, Mike, as you know. But, uh, you know, it's brilliant. You know, Plankovic—it it is such a brilliant idea. It's, you know, it's a bit like Room 101, but edgier and funnier and, you know, and and a bit more daring.
2: Yes, exactly right. And, I mean, it won't surprise anybody that uh, we spoke an awful lot about Meghan and Harry uh, and about how dreadful the whole situation is, right?
1: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, you know... (laughs) When it comes to the definition of the word plank, I mean these two are going to have their picture next to it in the dictionary <laughs> in future, aren't they? I mean you can't beat them for plankism, and yeah, yeah, it's funny in a way, but it's also getting incredibly sad. I mean the story today about sort of like you know the court case with her dad and all the all the the, the dirty laundry yeah. in Washington public. I mean it's just depressing. But you know when it comes to planks, I, I you know I, I don't think I'm giving anything away here because obviously we want people to go and watch it on YouTube. But I think Harry and Meghan might just be in with a shout of winning this week. Yes, do you
2: reckon? I think so. But what mm. I was really astonished by, and, and it should come as no surprise to us, really, because Maya, of course, comes from uh, a, a, originally an Iranian family. He's, he's living here in Britain. He, his, he came here with his mother when he was quite small, but his, uh, some of his family still live in Tehran. He came out with the most astonishing uh, plank of the week, which was basically the Iranian government.
1: Well, this is brilliant, I'm- yeah, we were discussing it before before we started making the program, and I was going, "You can't have an entire government that's cheating." I've only got two people, but no, he was right. And you know, I mean, basically, his his I loved it because this is why it came very very high, um, along with Megan and Harry, was the fact that the Iranian government are painting Union Jack and uh, the American Stars and Stripes flags on stairs and pavements and things like that. So they can film their citizens walking over it and looking like they're stomping on the flag. Yes. Um, but it's backfired slightly because the Iranians aren't doing it. They're going out of their way to edge round these flags on the floor, you know, even if it means sort of like sliding yeah. down banisters on stairwells. Well, this, is the,
2: like this is the funny thing because if they also... I mean, if you're flying over Iran exactly. and all you can see is flags of Israel and uh, the United States of America, I think it's going to be a bit odd. Let's have a listen uh, to Maya Tuzi explaining it.
4: Uh, the last couple of days,
3: what they've been doing... They started from university campuses. Now they're using a lot of public places. They they paint the flags of the United States and Israel, so that the public automatically oh, yeah. have to walk on I them. I saw this
1: on the staircase. Yeah, yeah. so then yeah. they can
3: film it and uh, take pictures, saying, "Look at the public like walking on jumping it." Jumping on the flags. And then the backfire was that the people have been avoiding
2: to
0: actually go on these. So flags. Be, yes, I've seen a
2: video <laughs> yeah. of that. And they're yeah. now doing it from everywhere. So they started from that place. Now they're painting them like all the kind of the bridges and like and roads and... That's got a little pavements. bit weird from, um, it uh, it from, from an, aer- an aerial yeah, shot yeah. Sort of, and promoting America. God bless yeah. America. Yeah. That is real. Yeah. I mean, people yeah, exactly. might get the wrong end of the stick. Yeah. The wrong end of the stick indeed. And what about the old political content as well? Because actually there was less political content this week than there was last week. We had last week Ed Davey as number one plank of the week. He's dropped out altogether, as has Jeremy Corbyn, but mm. Clive Lewis makes an appearance
1: indeed. Well, I mean, the thing is with the Labour leadership contest, um, it's it's quite tricky, isn't it? Because really they are all plank. So how do you decide which one is the most plankish is quite difficult. Obviously Clive Lewis is the one, you know, the the candidate who, who... who stepped down this week, um, you know, leading the field open to another bunch of useless idiots. But, you know, he, he, he made a big deal about stepping down and sort of like, you know, in the interest of diversity, mm. OK, whatever, um, or in the interest of you actually being a bit rubbish and no-one voting for you, I think is the more honest answer <laughs> there. So, you know, he, he deserved a shout in Plank of the Week as well. He did. It, it did get a bit celebrity-orientated as well again. After it was that,
2: very celebrity-orientated mm-hmm. because we've got Hugh Grant, who got mentioned by me because of his a ridiculous tweet from the other night in which he basically said that um, it's now very clear to him, very obvious that almost uh, all the people in this country, and certainly a large majority of them want to actually remain in the European Union this is two weeks before we leave it
1: What what, what are they doing? Where are they coming from on this? Why do they not get it? Why do Labour and people like Hugh Grant not get that the great British public, whether you like it or not, have had their say, and because you don't agree with it, it does not make the great British public stupid or racist or ignorant or not listening. No, it just makes them having an opinion and having a right to express it. i mean Very the, f- annoying. Th- the, th-
2: the thing I find difficult—I don't know whether you did this—was is, is actually whittling it down to, to to just three that we nominate each, because you start off with nine and it goes down to three, and then you end quite up with tricky, one. Wasn't but it? it is quite tricky, isn't it? I mean, you had an interesting one, which was Oscar which, of course, as soon as you said it, because I wasn't really on that wavelength, I didn't realise you were talking about the actual um, <laughs> like Oscar if statuette. Like you were on my wavelength,
1: you'd need to be worried. Yeah, well, I mean, I, well, look, you know, if Maya's going to have the entire government, I thought I could have a sort of, like, you know, a 12-inch, you know, gold statue. Yeah. But, you know, Oscar. The Oscars uh, nominations have been announced this week, and, you know, and the award for whining wokeness goes to this ceremony, because, once again, there's not enough females, people of colour, working class, disabled, LGBTQ, not enough people identifying as blooming potatoes, for God's sake. Mm. You know, but maybe, just maybe... The movie gongs are decided on talent rather than quotas. I mean, you know, what's wrong with that?
2: It could well be. And, of course, one of the more... And we'll come back to you, because you write about that in your column today, and I want to ask you about something in your column as well. Oh. But, but, uh, but the, I would say the most controversial one, and a few people have already picked up on it and have actually admonished me, who have watched the Plank of the Week and said you shouldn't have allowed this, and it was your nomination of the oh. Queen herself. It's the not like me
1: to get you in trouble, is it, Mike? No, yeah, really not. I, just, I, was being, I was being a little bit controversial. Um, yeah, I did, I'm afraid to say, nominate the Queen after the Sandringham Summit with, with Harry and Charles and William. Mm. Uh, now, I didn't really want to do it because I think she's done the best job she can do in the circumstances that have been presented to her by her once-favourite grandson and his wife. Um, but a little tiny part of me just wishes at that summit she'd have got hold of Harry by his ear and said, look, son, you need to get your act together. You're not going to... You know, they're in, the, they're in the honeymoon period still, aren't they, Harry and me? Yes. And, you know, well, Harry's I don't know.
2: Buried, they were in it. I'm not sure if they're still in
1: it. Well, I think they are. It's only, mean, what, sort of like two, three years, isn't it? I, I think Harry's burning an awful lot of boats and I'm not sure his head is in the right place. I just think the Queen... Just a little bit of me, just wish you should have gone, right, get your acting gear yeah. here and just, you know, just do your job, basically. Yeah.
2: Well, it's better than that. You said she should have told him to get a new wife.
1: <laughs> I did not. I think you might have said that. I, I didn't imply that. I mean, nothing wrong with Meghan. Harry's a grown man. And, yeah. you know, look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, just disappear, go and live in Canada. But what I wanted to mention, Mike, right, okay... The, the whole racism thing, which is what I write about in my Daily Star yeah. column this week, as well, which I really hate the fact that the implication is that the whole of Britain is, is a racist uh, hotbed of hatred, is if Meghan feels like she's been bullied out of this country by racism, why is she choosing to go and live in Canada, a country run by a prime minister? Who does blackface on top of a hat? Right. And also,
2: also she's going to a place where she won't be photographed. She's already been photographed. She's on the front pages today getting into a seaplane on Vancouver Island, which is one of the most remote parts of Canada. So if she thinks that she's not going to get photographed, I'm afraid she's got another thing coming.
1: Well, a part of me might be a bit cynical here. I mean, she looks gorgeous in that picture. She looks very happy. She's smiling directly at the camera. Yeah maybe she might have used her own pet photographer (laughs) to take that
2: picture. I'm sure you're you're right. Now, um, finally, uh, I'm looking at your column this morning in the Star, and um, I love this idea of banning food in the cinema that you want to do as well.
1: Oh, God. Well, look, when was the last time you went to the cinema, Mike?
2: I don't go that much. I think probably a couple of months ago with the kids to go and see one of those awful Avengers films I have to go and
1: watch. Yeah, but it's it's like, I, I do not understand why someone going to the cinema for the maximum, what, three hours? Yeah. I mean, not, many, ma- not many films go on for longer than three hours, have to eat their own body weight in two.
2: <laughs> and you have a p- bucket of popcorn the size they're, of a they're, small they're child.
1: huge. They're not just buckets. They're, like, sort of, like, container ships full of popcorn. Yeah. And there was this person sitting next to him, and I was watching 1917, which, by the way, is a brilliant movie. It's incredibly emotive, incredibly thought-provoking, and you really do get into it, unless, of course, you've got an utter numpty sitting next to you face down right. trotting through the noisiest box of popcorn I've ever ever seen and the in my smelly life. hot
2: dogs are the things that do it for me oh. as well you know and then
1: pick and mix with sweet you know with the sweet wrappers on and right. those those giant vats of Coca-Cola with ice in them—it mm. was just—it just, it just oh, know. A ruined the experience. I mean,
2: I, I basically now, if we do go, I refuse to buy any of the food there because it's just ridiculously. One, it's ridiculously expensive. Of course. And two, it comes in such large amounts that you're kind of going, "I don't want this much food. I just—I thought I might just get a little packet of peanuts or something."
1: Exactly. Nobody's going to starve if they don't eat for three hours, are they? No. Nobody. So why do you have to do it? I must admit, I—you I, know—there's a story this week that sort of like scientists are claiming that. Watching a film burns off the same amount of calories as a gentle workout, and I must admit, I was (laughs) I was giving myself a workout sitting next to this person, sitting on my hands, stop me hitting them, biting my left, It's like, oh, shut up, shut up, and all the way through the film, you know, even the really emotional bits where people were getting blown to pieces. Yeah,
2: here's what you should do next time that happens: just get your phone out. And, and start going, kind of you know, going through it so the light shines in his face and well, then he exactly. might Well, exactly.
1: Yeah, I just think about it. But, I mean, it's a very good film and I was really enjoying it, as I said. Just stop selling food. Yes. A glass of wine, that's OK. You're allowed to sell a glass well, those, of wine. So, there's <laughs> some
2: posh uh, cinemas I can direct you to where not only can you have a glass of wine but you can actually lie around on a chaise lounge and watch it
1: quite nice yeah. well, I, mean, we, 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 I think we, there's
2: one in Notting Hill
1: mm, we have been to a cinema where they've got like a um, like a little two-seater like a this little settee oh, yeah. pretend you're at home right. but obviously if you've got some pig sitting next to you <laughs> tropping their <laughs> way to with you, me you then. Ruined it <laughs> and I'm not talking about my husband no I mean. that's
2: very harsh alright Dawn well listen have a great day thank you so much plank of the week a great success with Dawn Neeson uh, and Maya Tusi. Uh get it uh, on YouTube immediately it's very good uh, have a watch of it we're going to do it every single Tuesday you can even nominate some people for us if you wish across the